Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is the next episode of Exponential Wisdom, and I'm here with my deep scout, my deep <laughs> explorer of technological matters on the planet, Peter Diamandis. And Peter, there was some news, and it's kind of like, uh, I remember back in ni- 1974, an article that talked about the microchip, and uh, it was just being called a microchip, and everybody, all of a sudden, this word microchip became a uh, buzz, and it was quantum computing, and it was announced by Google, um, maybe uh, within the last 30 days, I think it was. And But you you have a background of exploring this topic that goes back many, many years, almost from the beginning of the development of the idea of a quantum computer, and then all the various players who actually moved it to the point where, uh, from the news from, from Google, it's now a reality here, and uh, I think maybe someplace else in the world, too. So can can you just kind of give a general context of why this new form of computing makes such a difference uh, for science, for technology, for just everything that takes place in human society? I, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> and the news that's recent is not that quantum computing came into existence. It's that Google announced that they achieved a technical term that sounds sexier than it is called quantum supremacy. And we'll talk about that in a second. First, put some context. We are in what Ray Kurzweil calls the fifth paradigm of computing. Paradigm one was these large mechanical computers like the Babbage machine. You would turn the crank and this mechanical system would come out with an answer. And then we had— 19th century, actually, right? Yeah, yeah. End of the 1880s, these were machines used for calculating like election results. Then we brought electricity to the table, and we had relay-based computers and vacuum tube-based computers and transistor-based computers. And the fifth paradigm, which is really Moore's law, and the microchip is this concept of integrated circuits where you have on a single chip billions of transistors. And it's really these are etched using a high-fidelity laser, and the transistor is able to basically store something as a one or a zero. And those ones and zeros are called bits, and when you digitize something, it's effectively turning it from an analog, which can be an infinite number of values, to a one or a zero. And that can be stored on everything from magnetic memory to bubble memory to solid-state memory, And that gives us the system we have today, which are pretty amazing, right? Our supercomputers that we've been building. But there is a concept that emerged over the course of the last 50 years, which has really begun to step up recently, which is the idea of a quantum computer, where it's not the bit that's a one or a zero. It's what they called a qubit, which is a probabilistic value between one and zero. It's a bit that can be a one or a zero or anything in between. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the notion that it's almost the difference between Newtonian physics and quantum physics. Newtonian Mm -hmm. physics makes everything very concrete. It's the apple falling from the tree. But when you get down to a very small level we see that there is a weirdness as described Mm -hmm. by like Einstein and and Dr. Friedman that we are living in a world where things are probabilistic. They're not Mm -hmm. actually a one or a zero. They're probably this or probably that. Mm -hmm. And quantum computers have been developed that create these 
qubits that can be stored in a wide range of areas. And the challenge is that how do you create a qubit? And there are a multitude of different ways to create a qubit. All of them involved creating super cryogenic temperatures mm -hmm. to store these qubits. And they can be stored in form of an ion, in form of other subatomic particles, in the form of photons, in the form of microwaves, in a wide range of areas. And there are a number of companies that are playing in this game. Mm -hmm. Google, for one, Google has been playing in this game for a while. There's a company called D-Wave out of Vancouver. There is a company that a friend of mine, Chad Rigetti, runs called Rigetti Computing. Mm -hmm. There is IBM, and there's a multitude of government labs. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing about quantum computing that makes it interesting is that a lot of processes, a lot of natural processes that are super complex, like the weather, like material sciences, like how materials perform under different environments, even how the surface of a cell operates and how molecules interact. All of these things, they're not digitized. They're not ones and zeros. They're these infinite spectrums. They're super complex systems. And we have been working over the last 50 years to model these things in digital computers, in supercomputers. We think about protein folding, and we try and model protein folding using a digital computer where it's really not a digital process. It's a quantum process. It's a probabilistic process of whether mm -hmm. a particular part of the atom is here or there. And so it turns out that quantum computers, as we're developing them, they are the ideal kinds of computers for us to use to model natural complex systems. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the big uses of quantum computers projected is going to be in pharmaceutical design, mm -hmm. uh, where you can design a particular molecule to interact with a particular cell receptor or new material sciences where you can start to model different combinations of atoms in composites and, and different kinds of systems for extracting salt out of water or carbon out of the air. The promise for quantum computing is massive. So I'll end my opening with saying there was sort of a uh, line in the sand drawn. And people were going to say, when do we know that we have quantum computing because we've been able to create and sustain a qubit here, a qubit there. So scientists ended up coming up with a term called quantum supremacy. And they said, hey, listen, the first time that a quantum computer can solve a problem that a classical digital computer cannot, that will be the time when we have achieved quantum mm -hmm. supremacy. And I think they overplayed the term. Yeah. And that occurred at Google, you know, just in the last half dozen weeks. And there's a massive supercomputer that they said, listen, to solve this particular problem would take 10,000 years. And the Google's quantum computer solved this problem in a matter of, I forget whether it was seconds or minutes, but it was very quickly done. And to be fully transparent about it, the problem that it solved had zero utility. Mm -hmm. It was just a very complicated math problem, if you would. But nonetheless, it was announced that we had reached quantum supremacy. And like you just said, as we were talking, getting ready for this, it is in one sense a Sputnik moment. Yep. It's a moment just like Sputnik wasn't a useful communication satellite. It just went beep, beep, beep. But it foretold 
what was coming down the line. Yeah. The reason I'm interested is that in coach, we have three levels of strategic coach signature, which is the basic training. And then you have 10 times where you, you know, maximize the growth potential of you as an entrepreneur, but also teamwork around you. And then the third level is the free zone frontier, where your organization actually becomes a working partner with some other entity in the marketplace. And what surprised me most is small entrepreneurial companies who are collaborating as full partners with large corporations, and they're creating something that didn't exist before in the marketplace. And I have a client in Bozeman, Montana, who's just making the jump from the 10 times program to the Free Zone Frontier, and his name is Luke Moritzen. Luke has a lab in Bozeman, and his lab is a cryogenics lab and quantum people who are doing experiments from all over the world. Not only that, but material science people who are testing materials at very low temperatures. And his lab will do 1.7 Kelvin. They'll get to 1.7 Kelvin, which I looked up in Fahrenheit. It's 456 degrees below zero. And he said exactly the same thing that you did. He said, at that temperature, all sorts of things are weird. He says, <laughs> things that at room temperature perform a certain way or don't perform at all, they become more lively as you get colder. I asked him, so what do you compare 1.7 Kelvin to? And he says, well, outer space is warmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that kind of, you know, just for a, uh, he said the dark side of the moon is quite a bit warmer than that. Much warmer, yes. Yeah, much warmer. And he said, you know, I don't want to play this up too much, but he said this is a real crossover moment that we've just reached. And he said there's going to be a furious race on at the corporate level, but also at the government level now to maximize the practical usefulness of quantum computing. So one of the things I immediately turned to is very, very complex human activities, which are almost beyond observation. And they're certainly beyond probable predictions. Can you talk about that just in terms of things that have happened just because there's 8 billion people now and they're equipped with cell phones and they connect to each other and the possible interactions and changes in a day is almost beyond calculation, you know, and how something like quantum computing would apply to that. So, interestingly enough, the things that are converging, and uh, my next book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, is on this concept of convergence. And By the way, we're ordering 600, so I just want to make that commitment on air here. 600, okay, fantastic. So, the convergences that are occurring, and, and we'll talk about them at A360 this year as well, are fascinating. So, here's some thoughts. So, what's going on in the next six years is we're seeing the deployment of 5G, around the world. We're seeing the deployment of the Starlink constellation that Elon's putting up, not originally the 12,000 spacecraft, but something like 42,000 spacecraft. I mean, the, the guy is going to cover the night sky in, in, in spacecraft. I'm bringing Greg Weiler this year to A360, and he's putting up 2,000 satellites for broadband connectivity. And then you've got Jeff Bezos with his Kuiper constellation of 3,000 satellites. The point being, we're about to connect every single human on the planet. And what's fascinating in is In real that time, accessible time. Yeah, in real time. time. In real time, at multi-hundred megabit and up to gigabit connection speeds. But what's going on that's interesting is that these quantum computers are being put on the cloud for free. 
So Chad Rigetti, mm-hmm. who I mentioned earlier, if you go to Rigetti Computing, you can download a piece of software called Forest. And Forest is a piece of software that a child can use or a researcher can use to actually program an experiment on Rigetti's quantum computers for free. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, it would be interesting if quantum computers were only available at MIT or Stanford or IBM or Google. But we're living into a world where 8 billion people will, if they want, have access to, you know, quantum computing yep. on the web. And they also have access to Amazon Web Services and Google and Baidu and all of these things. And one of the things I'm thinking about is that it used to be that if you were a genius, a mathematical genius, a conceptual genius, and you were born in the wrong village or to the wrong religion or to the wrong family or spoke the wrong language or were living away from any place, your genius was squandered. It never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. You know, how many Einsteins and Mozartses were just born the wrong ethnicity in the wrong place? But now, when we're connecting everybody around the world at gigabit connection speeds with access to all these services on the cloud, these geniuses are going to pop up like bright light bulbs and be able to use all of these exponential tools Mm -hmm. to create unexpected breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people, when I say that the world is moving faster than anyone thinks, it's this. It's the unexpected people Mm -hmm. that you would have never seen you know, this is young German boy at age nine, uh, just finishing his bachelor's degree, going into his PhD, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's genius out there that will now be connected to these incredible tools. Yeah. Peter, just in terms of bringing it to your own situation, because you're thinking ahead in terms of your investment fund, in terms of XPRIZE, in terms of Singularity, A360, and other, and especially your longevity initiatives and that just tell me the difference between having this as a theory and something that does happen in faraway labs and having it available to you on a working basis. How does it shift your mind of how you would go about your projects differently as you go forward? Because this is what entrepreneurs are interested in. They said, well, I'm happy with the big news and that's really, really great. But give me an example of how I would plug it in and I would use it for something. So what needs to happen now, and I write about this, what needs to happen is the development of a user interface, what I call a user interface moment. So in the past, an example is that we had ARPA, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, create ARPANET which is the precursor to the internet, right? And ARPANET was originally meant to connect all of the top university computers, like at MIT, at Harvard, at Stanford, and Washington, D.C., and so forth. And then in the early days, a professor at another university who didn't have one of these large computers would set up a terminal. And that terminal, they could use ARPANET to access a computer far away. But it was very difficult, and you had to use the right keystrokes, and it was not user-friendly. And then a guy named Mark Andreessen came along, and he created Mosaic. And Mosaic was something that sat on top of ARPANET and was what I define as a user interface moment. And a user interface moment is a time when someone puts a layer on top of a very complex system Mm -hmm. and makes it easy to use. And Mosaic led to Netscape, which led to all of our internet-related business. 
the App Store on iPhone is another user interface moment. So what's going to happen next, I believe, is that entrepreneurs will put a layer on top of quantum computing to make it usable. The ultimate user interface moment is an AI, mm-hmm. and an AI that you can speak to. It understands what your intention are, and then... So you might say, hey, listen, I'm looking to do a simulation in a quantum computing mm-hmm. of traffic in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Can you go gather the data for me? Can you go and program on the quantum computing, mm-hmm. whatever? So I think that's where we're going to start to see as AI becomes more and more prevalent this decade, it will become the means by which you start to use more and more capable tools that you don't need to understand how they work, mm-hmm. but it's going to be the go-to tool to solve the problem that you as the entrepreneur want to solve. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a great Google user from a search engine standpoint. I found a real jump in capability of just Google as it is right now in terms of just forming a question and putting the question out. And I'm noticing the ability of Google to respond to the question much more accurately and much more pointedly than, let's say, 12 months ago. So people say, well, how do you find that? And I said, well, I have to tell you, your great ability here is just to pose a really good question. So can you talk about this? Yeah, you know, it's another concept that I love sharing. You know, we're heading towards a world where you can know anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. We're heading towards a world of near infinite transparency. And this is coming because of the Internet of Things and the trillion sensor economy, as I call it. So in 2020, very shortly, this coming year, we're seeing a world of 20 billion connected devices, my aura ring, my watch, my phone, you know, within two meters of me, 30 devices that are connected to the cloud. And each of those devices have a dozen sensors. And so we're heading towards a world of a trillion sensors. And by 2030, 100 trillion sensors. And so we're heading towards a world where you can actually know anything you want. Mm-hmm. You can ask crazy questions like, what's the average spectral color of a woman's blouse at the CN Tower today? And the sensors could actually gather the data mm-hmm. and an AI could give you the answer. So I think that the future is one not of knowing things. The future is one of asking great questions. Mm-hmm. And so I share this with my kids. And I say, you know, listen, at school today, ask great questions. What questions did you ask? What questions did that for me? I also share it with the CEOs that mm-hmm. I mentor in my programs. It's like, it's the quality of the questions you ask, not what you know, right? Yeah. Why didn't Hyatt or Hilton ask the question, how do we double the number of room nights yeah. without spending more CapEx? Well, I'll give you an example of, you know, what was possible, you know, within the last two or three months that wasn't possible 12 months ago. It's a series of connectors between different platforms and LinkedIn, you know, which is really, really a great social media for business people. And I've analyzed kind of the target audience for us from about 10, 15 different factors of what constitutes. And I said, how many of these people right now are out in the world who, if they're actually looking for a strategic coach, but they don't know how to find us and we don't know how to find them. You know, customer acquisition is always the biggest cost. 
So anything you can do to shorten the time period between the right person knowing about the right thing and getting the full information. And even now with LinkedIn and several other, and this is Mike Koenigs. Mike has actually put this together with other technology platforms. And he can, like any city, we're in four major cities, LA, Chicago, Toronto, and London. We can go 50 miles out and we can simply say this profile active on LinkedIn, how many people are, and it'll tell you like San Diego had 567 people who, if they could make a link with Strategic Coach, they would be almost immediately pre-sold on Strategic Coach. And this goes 24 hours a day. You know, and we ought to think about this in terms of A360. One of the things, you know, why I want is that we should have some great interviews of people who are complete believers in A360 and have the AI actually get a word pattern of how they talk about their experiences. And then also a sentiment, you know, not only related to, you know, actually word usage, but the intensity of the use of the words and the excitement level that goes along with that. And then other qualifying things. And then just create, I would just start with Beverly Hills and go out 100 miles, you know. It's, I mean, just to make it as easy as possible. That's a great experiment, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and my sense is that Mike and I are doing the first trial run on the complete putting together, you know. It's not only the hamburger, but it's the fries, the shake, and, the, you know, everything else. Because a lot of technology is just putting things together that exist for one reason and together with other things that are existing for another reason. That's what an entrepreneur does. Yeah. Steve Jobs said, what's creativity? He says, putting stuff together. What if you're really creative? He says, putting lots of stuff together. (laughs) 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 No, no. And that's what it is, you know. And it's really, you know, inspiring to me because it's nice to have things happening when you're not paying attention to it, but it's serving your purpose. But where you're kind of taking our concept and coach of who, not how, but treating technology as a who. You know, one thing I thought about, Peter, is to have them do a present state of all the technologies they're actually using as who's, you know, and just do a 360. How many different technologies you don't even think about, but you're using them and these are who's. And then say, okay, well, that's what you have right now. Let's just show you what could happen during the next 12 months. So we'll create one picture of who you are right now, and we'll create a picture of who you could be 12 months from now, not getting rid of what you did, probably, but actually just moving some new technological who's in there. And this seems to me, this is endlessly extendable out into the world. Yeah, it's exciting. It's how do you make yourself an exponential organization? How do you 10x yourself? It's rather than trying to hire more people, it's how do you partner your existing people with software capability and AI capability that makes them that much more effective. One of the opportunities is that there are these layers and layers and stacks and stacks of software that you can integrate together that are always self-optimizing and improving. And if you're not using them, your competition is, your competition is getting more efficient and stronger every year, and you're just staying flat, and the words moving backwards. Well, the interesting thing from a psychological standpoint, if... You're thinking about a normal lifetime of 78 or 80 years old, and let's say you're 60. But every year between now and when you think you're going to die, your exponential capabilities become greater. Would you be open to moving the deadline further into the future? (laughs) And the goal is, I think people who imagine themselves as decrepit and old in a wheelchair don't want to do that. But if you're vital and having fun and learning and the world's becoming more exciting and more fun and you're more capable every year, 
I think it's a valid desire to live a longer, healthier life. Well, my feeling is if your future in terms of your own aspirations is always bigger than the past you've already lived, then you want all the buddies out there and all the helpers that you can do to make that so. Absolutely. So, pal, I uh, appreciate this conversation. I've got in our next session, I've got a few companies that I've been tracking and investing in and utilizing that I'd love to share with you. Pleasure. All right. See you soon. Thank you.